part of Double P Media. DoublePmedia.com. Hey, spoiler alert. We're talking about Penny Dreadful City of Angels in the context of the most recent episode. If you haven't watched that episode yet, you might be spoiled. So watch, and then come back. Delightfully dreadful. Welcome to Delightfully Dreadful, a podcast dedicated to all things Penny Dreadful, especially the new series, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, still your fifth favorite podcast among three active available. My name is Matt Murdick, and as always, I am joined by a man who lets Belgian chocolates distract him from any conversation, no matter how meaningful. It's Catfish. But what did you say, Matt? <laughs> Excuse me. Mm, 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 mm. Oh, uh, oh, right, delightfully dreadful. Yes, I remember that podcast. Mm, yummy. <laughs> Catfish. We're talking about season one, episode seven, Maria and the Beast. It was written by Colin S. Little and directed by Sharif Folkson. I think that's how you say Sharif's first name. I hope so. Love it. Love it. And uh, first time hearing of that director, but that's not a surprise because I don't keep track of that stuff that much. You might know a little bit more. This episode had uh, a little bit more movement, to me anyway, this Mm. time around. But I want to hear what you think about this particular episode. Do you have a rating for me? I do, and the, the, you know what? I, it was tough to go to figure out what rating to go with. Uh, my initial thought was to go with triple M's. Triple M's. Yeah, Mousy Magda makeovers. Oh, but then I had to go with five double H's. Double H's. Yep, healthy hoots. Oh, okay. okay. Our little rocket scientist says he doesn't give a hoot for politics, and I don't give much of a hoot for the storylines we're getting. Uh oh, <laughs> Matt. I think, uh, and I could be completely wrong about this, but here's my sort of sense of what's happening with this show, and which I think is happening with a few shows these days. Okay, it used to be shows would be like a, a TV series. You'd write a spec script, and that's called like on speculation, and and and, and people would go, oh, okay, look, here's the pilot, and then maybe you'd have like a one page description of what you expect to happen the rest of the season so people see okay this is this is this is what the writing is like this is what the characters are like and then okay what they're going to do for the first season and then lost happened (laughs) you know uh, i go to a lot of uh workshops casting directors and other people and i did a workshop one time with a guy who was a, a writer for lost and was brought in in later seasons and he admitted to us that they just kept throwing things on and throwing things on to make it interesting. And then, of course, because they're just like, oh, this this is weird. Let's just throw this on without any idea of how it was going to end up. Lost wrote itself in sort of a pickle to a place where they would never be able to explain anything and they'd never be able to make people happy. Right. So I think because of that, as a result of that, I think it's as a result of that. I'm not I can't exactly say, but I know for a fact Nowadays, when you have a show, sometimes people are asking for a full season of written episodes. If not, people want to see, instead of an outline of what happens the first season, 
people want an outline of what's going to happen the first three seasons, the first five seasons, mm. right? Because they don't want to end up in that situation. They want to know that the writers know where the heck they're going like the Lost writers didn't. So I think because people are plotting these things out and and are planning for things three years down the line, I think in some way that's good. But in the other way, it's not good because things are being set up this season for something two years away, yeah. right? And so because of that, I think the storytelling is really slowed down. In other words, it's like, let's not go for broke here and then figure out how to pick it up. For example, I, I feel like Killing Eve did that. They went for broke and now they're sort of kind of in a pickle. So I understand why they did that, but I feel like the storytelling is is slowed down so much and this is like, I don't know, here we are in episode seven, like, what the heck's going on? Anyway, so that's my long-winded explanation for what's bothering me and kind of why I think it's bothering me. And I could be completely wrong. You know, I think he makes some legitimate points there. And uh, I think the thing that most, uh, when, when you take that approach, the biggest danger you take is that because you're building things so slowly, you're not going to get to a third season, right? Because that's what's happening to you. You're just losing interest in this because of the slow building. Correct. Correct. Now, again, you know, this guy who developed this show had a successful show right. already. So I'm sure that he thought that Showtime would stick with him. And uh, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, to me, Penny Dreadful, the original Penny Dreadful was good because things started out crazy. And you thought, how could it get any crazier? And then they just added new and crazier things. And I thought it was amazing. Maybe some people didn't, but I thought like, this is just the kind of lunacy that is in my wheelhouse loved it i i get that man and i loved that show for that very same reason when i look at this particular episode though just on its own merit and i'm sure you're going to disagree with me on a lot of things uh but i went higher than you i i did eight out of ten what i like to call double d's double d's yeah dotty details oh <laughs> because i really i'm liked... surprised you didn't do 300 dotty details because you got it and more <laughs> i i think the whole uh, idea of the show is the more screen time you give dotty the more you're going to learn about her and the more you're going to wonder how much of it is true but <laughs> uh i don't know uh she's she's had she's had a life that is for sure um there are things that i i really liked about this episode that i'm not sure if you did or if it just seems like it's too slow for you um i really liked Mishner uh talking about a second cousin i thought that that was a very moving story uh and i thought that nathan lane did a great job with that you know, when you get two supernatural scenes in an episode of this show so far, uh, that's usually more than the norm. Last week, we didn't get anything. Some information was given out. Like, now we know that the Vegas, Maria just basically told us that the Vegas are Aztecs, as I guess most Mexicans are. But, uh, you know, she she made a point to put that out. And, and it, it seems like that this family definitely is central to the war. If you didn't want to speculate about that before, you've got it right in front of you now. I, I love confirmation of stuff. Uh, the fact that all of these Magdas are in their different personas at the same time, seemingly that evening, uh, means that she just makes copies of herself. She can be anywhere. 
Uh, also, um, we can bring this up later. We had a poll out this week about, uh, you know, whether Maria would recognize anybody. And I don't know what to think about that now. Uh, we can talk about it. <laughs> we can talk about it in a minute. But uh, you can probably guess my feelings about that. I can only imagine. We can talk about that in a little <laughs> if bit. If you here, gave but... this eight out of ten and are still confused. <laughs> just translate your confusion to bewilderment for me all right there we go um and there are questions of course about santa morte and her role and and even some you know th this on the downside uh she had told maria that she wouldn't appear until maria's final breaths but here she turned away from magda and uh, you know she seemed hurt it hurt me to watch her walk away but now questions is she gone and i even the way the episode ended i have to ask myself maybe as just a reason to give myself a reason to watch next week uh, is maria gone because really magda's away but then you hear thunder and everything goes blank so <laughs> i i don't know what to what to make of that either mm -hmm. and you know other little facts finally learned alex's last name uh, and of course, we get all all of the dotty facts, as I mentioned at the top. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot here, Matt. You, you I'm, I'm not this is not an attack on you. And, and, and I am so first of all, I couldn't be more thrilled that you like this episode. And I'm serious. I'm not joking. I'm glad that one of us is enjoying this show. So <laughs> my question to you is. And we could talk about it later, but I think it's important to talk about it now. Okay. What is the deal with Santa Morte? Do we understand what her purpose is, why she's involved in this, why she showed up, why she walked away crying, why, yeah, why she cried, why she bailed? I just don't understand at all what Santa Morte's role is here. And, and, and this is part of the problem, like... I know what Magda wants to do. She wants to burn it all down. And and so for that, I am thankful because that is clear. I have no idea what's going on with Santa Muerte. And she sh she's set up as this big thing who then, you know, this episode just completely bails on Maria. Thanks a lot, Santa Muerte. But yeah. since I have no idea what she's doing, what she wants, you got to let us know that. Because if you don't, I don't understand why she shows up. I don't understand why she's mad. I don't understand why she cries. I don't understand why she leaves. None of that has an impact on me because I have no idea what she wants. At least I know for all these other characters what they want. If she's big and important in here, you have to let us know what she wants so that when she doesn't get it or she's foiled or whatever, it has some meaning to us. Every time she shows up, there's no sense of, 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 of what she means to the story because we have no I have no idea what she wants. Well, I, I get that. Um, I could throw a couple of tinfoil things out there for you. And that's the fact that the betrayal was simply her saving Santiago. I wonder if the whole idea here is in order to generate interest is for us to ask the very questions that you're asking. Don't you want to see if in the next episode, if any of that gets answered or do, are you just so, um, I mean, yes, but in the meantime, how can I care when I don't know 
what's going on. I, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on between Santa Muerte and her sister because I, I, I don't know what that betrayal is. So, I mean, yes, you can make it a big reveal what that betrayal was. But in the meantime, it makes it lose impact for you. How can there be any impact? I don't know what's the, okay, all right, she cried and then she bailed. I mean, I guess, whatever. I don't know. Is yeah. she badass? What, I mean, I don't know what she's been trying to do the whole season. I got you. Well, I, for me, the impact uh, for that particular moment was just the idea of, what? what what's this about? Um, but uh, I can see how that, I, it certainly didn't have as much of an, emotional impact i think is as maybe we would expect for a big moment like that uh it did have an i mean emotional was impact it a, for me was it a big moment i uh was it i don't i don't i don't know why <laughs> okay <laughs> i was like all right whatever i guess i don't know <laughs> and you know what folks we're we're in a quandary here so why I don't, don't you yeah why don't you come out and and tell us what you think about this whole scene and and what it means and and either help catfish understand that that there is some value to it or help me understand that there's not. And the way that you do that is you send your tweets to at dreadful pod on Twitter, or you can send emails to dreadful podcast at gmail.com, or you can tweet to our bosses at double P H Q the word double the letters P H Q on Twitter, or you can send that to them on Instagram, or you can look them up on Facebook, facebook.com slash double P H Q. You can call our listener line three, one, four, two, six, nine, zero, four, two, one, or you can leave comments on our YouTubes as well. You can find all of the information as to how to find these things at dreadful podcast.wordpress.com as well as podcast app links Please, please, if you get a chance, leave us a written review, because if you do leave a written review, chances are, with no more than we've gotten, which is zero this week, you will be entered into a contest to win a version of season one in the medium of your choice on us. We will, if you just leave a written review wherever you get your podcasts. And Catfish, we didn't get any reviews this week, unfortunately. Oh, so that's horrible. No new contest participants, which really sucks. We need you to leave us a written review. You know what I think the problem is, Matt? I mean, we've got all these awards and the three words. I think we need another game that I am deciding, not deciding unilaterally, but I think you agree with me. I think we need a new game that we're going to have every week, and I'm calling this game Somebody help catfish. (laughs) (laughs) And that game is going to include at least one, maybe more questions that the viewers are going to explain things to me. Catfish. Somebody help catfish. Help catfish understand. (laughs) Answer some questions for catfish because he's too dim to get it. No, I don't think you're too dim to get it, man. I think you're just entitled to, you know, we invest time in this show and you want to be enjoying that i don't think that there's any problem with that but folks remember that uh at dreadful pod on twitter or you can tweet catfish himself what's your twitter handle i'm at cjg man 67 so hang out because when we get to the point where we have games our new game is somebody help catfish all right sounds good uh somebody help this tv show in terms of the ratings for crying oh boy because uh, ratings are down yet again. The demographic of 18 to 49 year olds has all but disappeared last week uh, for episode six. 
And uh, the viewership, while it had gone back up for episode five uh, to like 369,000, it's dropped another 5% back down to 348,000. The averages here are not good. Although, again, I will say Catfish and I have not had much in the way of success in determining what is considered a successful Showtime show. Um, so You know what's a successful Showtime show, Matt? What's that? It's one that gets renewed a few episodes after it starts its first season. <laughs> I've not seen that. I've not seen that from the network yet regarding uh, Penny Dreadful City of Angels, unfortunately. And I did have some questions as well uh, regarding last week. I know uh, people are getting on to me a little bit about uh, the fact that I just wasn't even sure if Carrie Bechet was actually doing this work or not, or if she was just lip syncing it. Obviously she's lip syncing it to pre-recorded tracks when she performs them for the most part, uh, except for maybe one scene in episode two. And, and I had contacted uh, Hal Rosenfeld in terms of, uh, he was the guy that did the arranging for all of the Crimson Cat stuff, like the dance scenes and all of that. Right. And he tweeted back to me saying that the, he did not do any work on the Molly songs, but he thinks they're great. Hopefully more Crimson Cat stuff to come. So spoiler alert, we might get another uh, big band arrangement from Hal Rosenfield later on in the season. Um, our friend of the podcast, uh, Brianna. FOP. Yeah. She's uh, April Diamond 28. She told us that uh you know uh according to a tweet from Daniel Zavato who plays Tiago uh that Carrie Bichet uh did sing uh certain songs live wow so there's no stopping Carrie so all the more reason to like Molly because she really can sing i suppose well first of all i think that makes you know we have a, a lot of friends of the podcast we've got some old 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 uh double l's Double L's. Yeah, loyal listeners. Oh. But we really appreciate this. And Matt, I don't know. I'm not going to make... I don't want to make an executive decision, but I want to pitch this to you right now. Okay. Can we make, at April Diamond 28, the official, delightfully dreadful researcher? <laughs> Wait a minute. Now, Catfish, you're, you're not going to just make her do all the research for us. Is that what you're alluding to? <laughs> are, are, are you are you becoming a Stugatz here? Are you just saying you do the research? I'll answer the questions. Well, listen, I, I will say this: I am very proud of my Google skills. I, I'm I know that sounds silly, but I'm able to find things a lot faster than other people. I couldn't find anything about this, and so that's my problem: was I was not uh, searching Twitter. April Diamond twenty eight is better than me, and so I think. It doesn't require any additional work from her. This is more like bestowing an honor on her. And then if she does want to do more research for her, she's welcome to. <laughs> <laughs> we'll never hear from Brianna again. Thank you, Brianna, for uh, tipping me to that tweet. I really do appreciate Brianna, it. Brianna, congratulations. You've been added to the non-paid staff, <laughs> which is all the staff for the Delightfully Dreadful podcast. Well, now, don't forget, she uh, she actually uh, left a review, so she may actually get a payment uh, for this if she wins. Uh, she's mm -hmm. at least in the contest. I'm not sure... Uh, 
if that's a much of an award or not at this point. But you know, if you're if you're still determined that the reward that the prize is the is the uh, DVD or Blu-ray of the first episode of this season, I'm not sure. Maybe that's why people aren't leaving reviews. <laughs> you think I may have given it a deterrent? Do you? Please, please, please don't send me that. Uh, well, uh, swag, swag, whatever swag you want, we'll Let's find it swag. for you. We'll, we'll, equipment we'll, value. We, we've got a, we've got a bunch of, we got a, a, a lot of geeky swag. What we'll do is for the winner, we will uh, offer from a, a group of items your choice from a group of items. How about that? How about yeah. that? That sounds yeah. great. That yeah. sounds yeah. great. Just to encourage people. <laughs> to put in a review. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we're going to, we did get some feedback this week too, but we're going to put that at the end of the podcast so that we can get into okay. talking about this story. All right. This, let me just say one more time though, because, because we started joking about it right away. Wow. That live singing. What a great voice. Great voice. We didn't even know whether she was the one actually singing it, but to be singing it live. Wow. Yes. Um, kudos to, to Carrie. She, she's pretty amazing there. So glad I found that out. Uh, thank you again. Uh, April Diamond 28 on Twitter. That's Brianna. The delightfully dreadful official researcher. <laughs> Something that we turned to other people for some research for was some polls we put out this week. We'll do that real quick before we get into the storylines. Uh, I hadn't thought of this when we had our discussion last week. So I put out a poll, uh, condemning myself for not thinking of it. And as it turns out, it seemed pretty irrelevant this episode. Uh, but uh, I, I said that Maria has seen Rio. Will, will she see similarities to Elsa when Elsa comes to Peter's Crafts house? Uh, 53.8% said definitely. 23.1% mm. said definitely not. And an equal amount said uh, maybe. Uh, that was uh, 1,300 votes on the 100 Twitter. And... Uh, <laughs> Are we still at maybe? Did the maybes actually win this week? Because I, I don't... Is smelling the same... Can, is she smelling Elsa? Is she smelling Lirio? Is she smelling Magda? What What's going on here? I, I have no idea. I don't know. Let me just pitch you this, Matt. Okay. If you're standing in the kitchen with, like, your mother, and you turn to somebody else in the house and you say, I smell mom. I think mom is near. Does that mean you've recognized her? <laughs> <laughs> you recognized her smell. I know, but she's standing right in front of you. <laughs> and she's also, I don't know, let, let's get to that when we get to that part of the discussion. There's so much going on with, the one thing I did enjoy was that this is a Maria-centric episode. Yes. And I don't think we've ever said it before, but I love this actress. She is great. She's great on the show. Yeah. Adriana Barraza has been a, a real uh, gift to this show, without doubt. And she's Fabulous. also retweeted a couple of our tweets, which we really appreciate. Oh, man. Least. Well, even better. But she's she's incredible. And let me tell you something. If she makes enchiladas with carnitas anywhere near as good as her character Maria does, I am all in. I want to invite you could practically smell that. Oh, <laughs> was my bad pun God. intended. Was you could so smell that good. coming off the screen, couldn't you? It was, looked beautiful. I mean, listen, Maria's the one we need to focus on in the show. She basically takes care of the entire house over there at Peter's. And, you know, I can't remember the first time we actually saw this house. Was it at the birthday party where we saw the full house? I think so. 
Because I remember when I saw that house for the first time, I thought, where is this party happening? And so they, and then they made it clear that it was his house. And I was like, good Lord, how can he have such a big house? So Maria's cleaning that whole house. She got bumped to the garage room. And then she comes home and makes the most amazing meal ever, puts out all the nice dishes, and then everyone treats her like shit. And then Santa Morte is, Santa Morte is like, uh, 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 Magda says a couple things to her, and Santa Morte pieces out, <laughs> leaving oh. Maria to deal with Magda. I mean, Maria, she got so much going on. Maria's got more going on than everybody else, it seems like. and it's- It does, and, and here's the thing. Again, I've said over and over again, I don't understand Tiago's main uh, war within himself, where that comes from, to stand with his family and his people or with justice, whatever, whatever there's the law, etc. Maria is the one who I understand her the most. She's trying to keep her family together and she's doing whatever she can to do that. There are a couple of things which we get on later in the episode that I don't understand about Maria, but we can talk about okay, that great. then. Uh, the next poll uh, that we did, it kind of defeats the purpose of the first poll that I read, but I said, do Rhea and Maria get a sense of who each other is or represents during Maria's visit to Mateo? 50% said both do, which we got a question now because it doesn't seem like Maria recognized Elsa, so why would she recognize Rio? Um, 20% said Rio does recognize, or Rio does recognize Maria, but Maria doesn't. And an equal amount said Maria does recognize Rio, but Rio doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and 10% said neither do. I, I don't know if we've definitively answered that or not. Uh, uh, and the final poll that I put out there uh, was uh, in regards to our conversation, kind of a fourth wall kind of thing from last week. I asked if uh, the two movies that I mentioned, if anybody had recognized any of those uh, being Point Break and When Harry Met Sally. Equal amounts of people recognized oh, them individually, 20, 22.2%. 44.4% recognized both and 11.1 recognized neither. So you, you were right, Catfish. Uh, both those movies are still relevant, uh, at least slightly in, in pop culture, I suppose. Right. Except, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm half right. Uh, like this show, I thought that there would be more love for Point Break. So that, I mean, I was sort of right that both movies were in there, but, uh, Point Break and When Harry Met Sally, uh, individually, had the same numbers, and since both is both, that means they were they're both remembered the same. Mm-hmm. So there we go. Which uh, you know, uh, when uh, nine hundred, you know, such a small sample size, but nine hundred votes on the one hundred Twitter uh, says so. Then we have to take that as gold, don't we? Um, Absolutely, I believe. <laughs> I believe. I believe our listeners. <laughs> so uh, Maria. I don't know. Uh, we've talked about this already, but I, I, I just, I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like that uh, Maria doesn't recognize Elsa or Rio, which you corrected me about mom, but I, I'm just saying smelling is not recognizing, even when they're right in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, especially, well, well, we'll get to that when we get to it, because the interplay between her and, uh, now I'm now referring to this one as manipulative Magda. 
Manipulative Magna, a double M. Yeah, double M. Uh, we'll talk about that later. All right. Well, let's get into this story, shall we? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Well, uh, since it was so Maria-centric, a lot of things kind of folded into her storyline. So we'll get to the bulk of the episode, actually, with her storyline. But there's some little outliers, like Tiago and Molly. Uh, he's at the bar, and, and uh, the bartender's giving him praise for getting the confession and what have you. And not really uh, digging in on it. Looks like he's, he's been on a bender for a few days. Uh, the captain gives you a week off, man. What you going to do, especially after something like that? You're going to go drink. Molly keeps waiting for him and says, well, I can take care of your your lack of grooming skills right now. Um, But he's taking credit once again for, you know, having to do the confession and everything. And she's like praising him for all of that. And he then blurts out, you know, that he just doesn't feel like he's in the right place and She makes him feel better by going upstairs to his room. You know, he gets her into his love shack. So, Catfish, one thing that I I feel like happens here is until we get to the end of the German storyline, it doesn't feel like there's a a decent payoff to this scene in the episode because we don't see any ramifications for Molly. And I'm left with questions like, would Molly be so good if she was really involved in the Hazlitt murder as to play this off? the way that she does with him? Mm. I mean, that's a great question for sure. And uh, and um, I'm glad that you think that this pays off in some way later on. <laughs> well, I, it, it pays off in the way that this is twice now that Nathan Lane has ruined uh, Tiago's uh, perfect, you know, placing Molly on a pedestal. Because uh, the first time around, it was like, you know, uh, she's involved in the Hazlitt murder. They were shacked up. And this time around, it's like, well, mommy is is running around with the Nazis. So I'm sure that Molly will be soon if she's not already. Well, I mean, that's that's another. I, I mean, what's interesting to me is the only the only interesting thing about this storyline to me. And, and maybe I'm just wrong. Maybe, you know, all signs point to mom being the bad one. And if you accept that, then you could say, well, mom's doing stuff and Molly doesn't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure that it actually messes with him or not. So so there's that, even though somehow I'm still convinced that they could do the switcheroo on us. Mm-hmm. And, and if we do that, then her like, you know, kind of feigning innocence about this whole thing, when she pushes him, I think Tiago's like, I feel like he's telling her without telling her that's not really what went down because he's just so bereft about it. And Mm -hmm. and maybe she could think of it as a different way. But, you know, one thing I wanted to talk about here was, and we never talk about it, of course, because, uh, Matt, I would not describe you and I as uh, clothes hounds Mm. or fashionable in any way. We're not fashionable and and aficionados, that's for sure. So. What I noticed, though, this time was, you know, that, first of all, we never mentioned uh, Carrie Molly's, uh, Carrie Bish's outfits, which are amazing, and none more amazing than this one here, the all-red outfit, Mm. the sleeveless all-red outfit, which is amazing. And you know what? I thought to myself, Matt, I'm getting, I was getting sort of a Red Riding Hood feel from this, and I wonder if that's kind of what they're going for, and then my question is... Is she really Red Riding Hood or is she the wolf? Ooh, mm-hmm. that's a great question. I like that. Uh, yeah. 
that's that's beautiful. Maybe we should pay more attention to her clothes. Yeah, maybe. I mean, she's wearing white a lot, but yeah, maybe maybe if there was anybody who cared about clothes on this podcast, uh, <laughs> we would pay attention. But yeah, let's pay attention to that more going forward. Um, obviously, when she's in a robe, there's nothing you can do about that. But her uh, out of uniform uh, clothes. Hmm. I say we draft Brianna. Brianna, do some research for us. Uh, uh, otherwise, what are you, Brianna? Why aren't you on this already? Get on this. Um, <laughs> We're just okay. kidding. We're just kidding. Uh, I'm not. Um, all right. So <laughs> she goes up to his uh, crap ass room. I mean, I tell you something. Ma- Molly is really, you know, she's come down in the world. It used to be a nice little cabin out there on the beach, and and then uh, different places. But now his room. And you know what I thought to myself, and maybe this is part of everything. Tiago, I still don't understand, as I said before, Tiago's split between his devotion to his family and his devotion to the law slash justice. Mm. I, I'm wondering now here why he does not live at home. It is no shame, especially if you have a really close-knit family. There's mm. no shame to live at home and uh, you know to be with your family, especially if your only other option is some crappy hotel that there was a sign up there that was like, I don't know, they rent rooms by the hour, maybe. I don't know what they do. But in other words, this is just not – like why would you move out of a nice family home to be – in, in a crappy place, unless you're trying to assert your independence, which, again, I don't know really the dedication to his family, although we see it sometimes and not other times. I it, it, All that's up in the air. So I just thought this was another interesting thing where it's like he's set up as independent in a way that like, there's just there's – just, I don't see any reason why he would move out of his family's house. I, I get that. Um, my – obvious answer probably most obvious answer was would be to be closer to the precinct but other than that um i i see your point there i definitely well and uh, uh, another obvious reason uh so that molly can come by uh, yeah but that's uh you know, that's, or, that's... or a molly of the past or a molly of oh, the future okay, you okay know, all right you don't want to bring you don't want to just bring a, a woman in to maria's house uh and and go to your room uh, no, you know. no, no. You want to bring him to your crappy uh, rent-by-the-hour motel. <laughs> well, uh, there might be some, you know, uh, save mom the shame. She's cooking nice dinners. Uh, and that's the reason I would stay. I mean, look at those dinners. Those are fantastic. I, um, I just don't, you know, it's like. I, there's no, there's no more reason to talk about it any further. Sorry, let's let's just move on. Let's just move on. <laughs> I think I think uh, maybe this shows a little bit of. Uh, of what Tiago's character is. He's constantly deciding between family and, and police. And in this sure. case, he chose between the police so he could be closer to the precinct um, where he abandons his family. But in the other aspect, he's using the police <laughs> to support his family in some ways. Uh, speaking of Vegas, though, uh, yeah. we've got uh, just one scene with Mateo this week. Josefina is walking with her friends and Mateo sees her and calls out to her. He's actually trying to convet, confess uh, what he's done, and she's just trying to save his soul, and neither of them seem very successful, uh, and Tiago just tells her that he hopes she finds happiness and, and walks away, and this was kind of tough for me, Catfish. It, it was kind of a hard scene to watch because 
And I know that you've got thoughts about this too. Uh, but the thing that stuck out to me most is that Mateo is now in a mindset where he has no family. Um, he can't go to Raul about this evidently, um, because Raul would probably just be sitting on the couch, uh, and saying nothing as he has been for, you know, what, uh, five episodes. He's at odds with his mother. He, he mistakenly put his foot down with his mom last week. And Fina is kind of his last streets. Obviously, he can't go to Tiago anymore. It, Fina is kind of like his last hope for family. And, and now Rio just totally has her claws in him, um, obviously, because she was Fina was the one lifeline that he had and, and she's gone. So those were my thoughts about that particular scene. Let me ask you a question, Matt. Okay. <laughs> and why did he lose Josefina? Why is why is she no longer an option for him anymore? She's no longer an option for him anymore because he's lost his religion. And all she's trying to do is is save him, which he thinks will eventually lead back to him going to family. I think for him, Fina is a way to keep a family tie and still remain who he is. He's, he's just, man, he's a sickened soul. He needs to get this off his chest to somebody who's not going to tell him you did the right thing, man. And, uh, he just perceived that whole moment as her trying to save him. Uh, 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 okay. And, sh- and, 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 and after all her, uh, I'm going to say icky protestations of love. Mm. In other words, this, this, her discussion of love for him seemed to slip from sibling to actual lover in its in its uh in its ardor uh if this scene was supposed to be deliberately icky then i'm pleased but i think it was not meant to be icky but but i sense that but the thing that's more of a problem is that i don't see this in this justification in other words she doesn't say to him you have to follow the right path or you're dead to me. She says, I love you. You're very important to me. I found God. And he's like, well, I guess that means you no longer care about me. I mean, essentially that's what goes down. She says, I love you. I care for you. I found God now. And he's like, well, I guess that means you don't care about me anymore. In other words, the whole transaction I feel like it could have been written in a way where I understand that he feels like she's abandoning him, but I feel like that does that there's no justification for his reaction to what he says to him to be like, well, that's it. I don't have you anymore. You've abandoned me. When she is in everything she says, not abandoning him. True. Uh, I it, don't you think of Mateo right now uh, when it comes to being confronted with things outside of the view that Rio has kind of planted in him uh, would maybe subconsciously reject that after the Taylor scene last week? I, I, I mean, I or two weeks ago, he, he goes to her and she tells him that she loves him. And she again, she does not reject him. If she had rejected him or his actions in some way, even if from her point of view, she was doing it because of her that that she still had love for him. But that, you know, she had a new sense of right and wrong or whatever because of her conversion. That would be one thing. But he goes to her supplicating and all she does is kind of provide him relief and no rejection and he 
acts as if she has completely rejected him. I I, I know I've I've reasserted the the point. I I just I what I'm saying is I don't I I don't I don't buy that. Okay, that's fair. Now, the one thing that's the one thing that is interesting that has really hit a lot in this episode, and I'll bring it up now, even though it's reinforced later on, is there is a lot of I want to say I want to say religious intolerance laced throughout this episode mm. more more than the rest. I mean, obviously we have the the Nazis' religious intolerance, and that is, I mean, you know that that goes along with intolerance for a lot of other things, but. The kind of Tiago's intolerance for, I, I mean, Josefina doesn't seem like she has been, it's not like she's become a Scientologist. She's not like Looney Tunes. And the way he reacts makes it seem like she's Looney Tunes and lost to him. But there's re, re, there's religious intolerance from him to her. There's religious intolerance from Fina to her mother kind of snaps back. You're not And vice not versa, religious. yeah. Right. Right. So I, I thought that was kind of interesting. That seemed to be more of a theme this episode. Mm. In other words, this was another thing where it was like, okay, we need to separate Mateo from the last remaining person in his family. And this is how we're going to do it. Wherein Catfish goes, not successful. Okay. But I did appreciate while attempting to do that, uh, they added something that to me seemed like Josefina was saying, uh, Mateo, I love you. More than as a brother. Ooh. I, I mean, I, I just a quick question. Did you get that at all? Or was that just weird? That was just weird catfish interpretation. No, I, I think that uh, you correctly described it as kind of icky. Yeah. Um, but I, for some reason, I was able to just put that aside by the emotion that I felt for Mateo and Fina, the way that they've, they'd fallen apart. Okay, great. Uh, great, yeah, was, great. No, I'm glad that that scene achieved what it was trying to achieve with you. I'm, I'm, I'm not joking. I'm glad that you. I mean, there were, a, you had a lot of feelings this episode, which I am glad. Yeah. Well, I and I can uh, just, just to confirm, uh, I did get kind of a, a weird feeling in my tummy for a couple of seconds there, and I don't know what the purpose of that was, uh, unless uh, they're going to go somewhere weird later. Uh, I mean, if you want to, go ahead. I mean, I'm just saying, but I don't, you know, if that's not what you're going for, just know that you sort of planted that. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, if Mateo had been like, no, I, I love you as a sister, and this this, this kind of love is creeping me out, then I would have bought that. <laughs> but it's like, no, you love me too much. You're obviously not on my side. On the other hand. Yes, And let me, me just say this. On the other, the other hand. hand. I, um, unfortunately have been very, and and I'm learning as we're going through what we're going through here in the United States, uh, this week, but I have not educated myself on the cultural aspect of, of, you know, Mexican Americans and, and, and what have you and how their families interact. Is this something that would be perfectly normal in a Mexican family? Um, I have no idea. Uh, and I, I mean, is it just genuine, just brother, sister love that can be misinterpreted that might cause people to look at Mexican-Americans differently, even though to them it's something that is just normal or natural? I, I don't know. Um, so uh, unfortunately, Brianna, you're going to have to get on that, too, and educate me about Hispanic culture. Oh, Brianna. 
This is yeah, you see that? You cause yourself trouble. Hey, just remember, I didn't appoint you, Brianna. It was all Catfish is doing, but I'm going to take advantage of it because I don't like doing work. I'm lazy. You Uh know, this just reminds me of a lesson that I learned early in my life. If there's something you don't like doing, don't demonstrate proficiency in it. That is for sure. (laughs) (laughs) If, If someone gives you a task and you don't like it, make sure to do it badly. Uh, someone who does do things badly is evidently Alex in regards to makeup. And so we'll go to city hall, uh, or maybe what I like to call, uh, double B's double B's bathroom brouhaha's. Oh yes. Because, uh, Alex meets councilwoman Beck in the bathroom and Beck basically asks Alex what she sees in town Townsend. And when Alex says she's going to make Townsend the president, Beck calls Townsend a racist demagogue. I love the fact that we got her uh, actual name, uh, Alex Malone. Uh, Beck says that Alex must have secrets since she is just, uh, and, and here's a metaphor that I'm sure you just loved, Catfish, appeared out of thin air. And uh, that uh, Beverly will find out more about Alex. And she also offers Alex some makeup advice, uh, which, uh, you know, causes Alex to cause seven years of bad luck for somebody. <laughs> Probably not her. Not uh, her. Uh, but the, the mirror breaks. And uh, I guess you just never criticize Alex's makeup is the moral of that story. Alex does some digging herself, evidently. And then she reports back to Townsend that Beck is looking to get Townsend his vote. Uh, recall the vote for his election. Uh, so she suggests going to war, but also helps him realize uh, that Beck definitely has the upper hand. And so uh, not for the first time, Townsend kind of suggests uh, murder. Sure, because, why not? <laughs> you know, cut a few throats. There are lots of things about this that I just found kind of weird. I, I will say that's why this show could never get a 10 rating for me. But uh, I, I tried to take it in stride. Uh, how the hell is Townsend ever going to become a president? Uh, it, it just, uh, well, okay. Well, I would uh, say. Is this one of those things where we're mirroring history here? Right. Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, there's no possible way that some moron who doesn't know how to spell and is a complete idiot could become president by inflaming people's prejudices in the 1940s. <laughs> yeah, just adds, uh, what, 80 years to that, and let's see where we're at. Yeah. Uh, the other thing that I didn't really get is that the first time Townsend seemed to brought this bring this up, when they were eschewing bread baskets and all, I feel like uh, both Alex and Goss were on the same page. It's like, this can't happen. Why does Alex have this look on her face at the end of that scene that seems to imply she agrees at this time? Mm. Yeah. You know what the other thing is, too, Matt? Instead of killing her, all they need to do is cause a brouhaha uh, about her, um, uh, uh, about the double B. The double B? Yeah, the uh, Beck's birth certificate. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. What if he just says Beck wasn't born in this country, but instead was born in Kenya? <laughs> because that makes perfect sense. Uh, it does. It does make perfect sense. Uh, I would say this. What I dug here was that there's a, a, maybe kind of a small tradition, or at least just something. It's a tradition in my head of. 
uh, kind of like a, in the forties kind of set up for the hard boiled guys of, 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 of people playing mousier characters. Um, there is a point uh, in, I believe it's a Maltese Falcon where Humphrey Bogart puts on some glasses and pretends to be mousy to get some information out of this woman. Uh, there's a famous time Harrison Ford does it as Indiana Jones. Um, and so uh, Magda's really hitting it here. She is, uh, uh, Bubba would appreciate this because she's doing a lot with her eyes. And mm. I just want to push those glasses up just two inches, Matt. I just want to push them up. Ah. I think it's been fascinating to see Natalie Dormer and, and granted, uh, the Rio character you may take or, or leave as it is, but I, I really like all of the different, ha- having all the different Magda characters yeah. and Natalie Des- Dormer doing them all. Despite our present reality, it seems to me that someone who is just a city councilman in Los Angeles, it, that is going to be a, a tough road to get them to the White House, where I'm sure, you know what, uh, the, <laughs> what they're implying by saying she needs to use Townsend is that there are no other politicians around uh, who look better and have a better outward facing presentation who also would do anything to become president. I think there's plenty of those people around <laughs> and she could find one that would be uh, an easier sell than Townsend. Which, just to put the tinfoil hat on again, was this a red herring that Alex was throwing out just to get back all fired up for some reason? Uh, it could be. It could be. But she's uh, she's going to attend with uh, Townsend at dinner later on uh, with Goss and, and Kurt. Uh, so let's go into the, the Goss storyline, the German storyline, which involves a lot of our characters, including our factful Dottie. Um, Goss promises Brian as he takes him out over this beautiful scenic view, uh, th- th- you know, a state of the art facility to do his research for the Fuhrer, uh, where he will brief the Fuhrer, uh, because Nazis always prefer to build rather than destroy, of course. And he has faith in Brian's abilities. He's trying to coax him back with, uh, he's using the, the carrot, uh, can't wait for the stick. And Nathan. Also, now we know why the Nazis want to build such good roads and run the tanks down them because the Fuhrer wants to move to America. Yeah, a new yeah. eagle's nest for yeah. sure. He's like, I want I need a place. I need a land to stretch my legs out in Rome. Which makes me wonder how much of that map that we saw last week was actually just that area. Given if you look at that whole uh, diagram that Goss had laid out in front of him, that whole uh, what do you call those blueprint? So it, it, it's kind of weird. I don't know what that big model makeup was. If a lot more, a lot more natural resources in America to mine and create more tanks and et cetera than there is in 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 tiny Germany. That is for sure. Uh, but naturally, Mishner, uh, or as we call him in this podcast, just Nathan Lane, he happens to be following him around, and he finds a nice safe spot to take some pictures from afar. And uh, when Dottie shows up at the cafe where Brian is at next, of course, he's doing his numbers. Uh, she she finds him and, and, and says she would never miss a Wednesday lunch with him uh, because uh, she's not had a date in 50 years. That would make 1888 the last year that she's had a date. Matt, clearly a lie. And this means that all our stories are lies. 
Does that mean Oliver Stone? I, I prefer all to think them. that she's she's playing three truths and a lie. Okay, all right. <laughs> I think that that's what they do. But yeah, yeah. Uh, she was born during the Grant presidency, which could have been anywhere from 1869 to 1877. The last time she had a date at max age mm-hmm. would have been 19 um, or age 11, which doesn't yeah, on the on the early side. So uh, I hope that's not the case. Uh, because Dottie's done a lot. Uh, but when Brian lies about he, he not meeting the Germans, and of course, uh, it, it seemed like he just appeared out of the blue like Magda. He shows up with a photograph proving otherwise. And uh, Brian tells Mishner that the Nazis are, are misunderstood and uh, for them to bug off. And that makes us get more Dottie facts that she was a Yiddish theater troupe or she was in a Yiddish theater troupe back in the east. Well, I think that means I think I think that she said it was her father's father's troop. Oh, okay. Uh I thought that she participated in it too. Maybe I was wrong. Uh but uh evidently, of course, Well, that- somebody's got to play little Timmy when the Yiddish troop does a Christmas carol. <laughs> Because they're doing all of the classics, right? And <laughs> yeah, they had yeah. done them all. They had, uh, they had rewritten all of it in, in Yiddish and everything yeah, was performing yeah. it that way. And because of that, uh, some bullies uh, came and kicked her dad's eye in and, and burned their place down. Maybe Yadi played the lead, Dottie played the lead in their uh, theater production of Yentl. For some reason, this inspires Brian to ask for protection from Nathan Lane. Uh, and Nathan says that she can uh, live with Dottie. And of course, it's got to be a Yoohoo inclusive environment because that seems to be what Brian likes most. Even Nathan Lane questions that. Uh, he tells Dottie not to let Brian out of her sight. And Brian won't have to hide for long because he's going to Take care of it. Dun, dun, dun. Now, Matt, I'm 90% sure. I don't think I said this before. I'm 90% sure that that cafeteria is on the, is on the Sony lot and is not built. But in other words, they just kept it looking like that. Really? Yeah. Nice. They have one like that on the Sony lot. So I don't know whether that's exact one, but it, but it, it looks a lot like it. Obviously, I've not been on the Sony lot in quite a while. The next time we see uh, Nathan Lane's German storyline, Tiago's checking out the Nazi conspiracy board that Lane's been obsessing over for a while, it seems. Uh, he basically tells Mishner that he's over his head. Uh, and, uh, of course, Mishner says, hey, man, I just did you a solid with your brother. Uh, you're going to help me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. You've got thoughts. <laughs> Keep going. I'll I'll make my thoughts at the end. That's my thought right now. Ah. <laughs> okay. When Tiago looks surprised as uh, Dottie comes in uh, by the fact that she's, uh, he says that she's in with it, uh, we get our third Dottie fact. True or untrue, Catfish? Did she run guns to the Cubans during the damn Spanish-American War, which was would have been in 1898? So she would have been 21 to 29. Could have done that. Okay, first of all, I'm saying hell yes, and that's why I'm saying the other thing is a lie, because I bet Dottie got a lot of action while running guns. <laughs> Can you imagine? She's this uh, hot young woman, revolutionary. She's probably wearing a beret. I mean, come on. In, 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 the, in the fog of war, you're not telling me that there's a, 
there's some, uh, you know, momentary, you know, maybe she didn't count those as dates. Yeah, I was going to say, do those yeah. qualify as actual dates? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Dottie uh, doesn't seem to me, Dottie doesn't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset at, 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 that they made Dottie this like spinster when she's lived a full life. Come on. Dottie's getting some in a while. What she should have said instead, I haven't had a date in 50 years. She should have said, don't look at me. It's so nice to meet you because uh, my, my last date with, was with someone who is younger than you. So it's finally, it's nice to have a date with someone closer to my age. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Because yeah. Dottie is getting there. it. Dottie is getting it. <laughs> Dottie's been around. Let's just put it that uh, way. I, it doesn't I, matter I, whether she's been around revolutions or dates. Uh, no, Dot, no. Dottie, Dottie knows her way on, on the horse track. She Dottie knows her way is, Dottie is badass. And trying to desexualize her, thumbs down from Catfish. All right. All right. Uh, but anyway, uh, Dottie uh, isn't going to get any great action. She's just going to get a nice dinner because he puts her on surveillance while he and Tiago are, are going to go out and, uh, quote, collect some debts um the whole story I'll, I'll just pause right here the the story about sam and anton again uh was a nice reminder of of what had happened and uh you think about the uh the the hebrew mourning ceremony uh that that uh nathan lane performed outside the the uh, the place where they were doing the autopsies um the, the question that i have is everybody except it seems Maria is going to the dark side. Well, and Fina is going to the dark side in one way or another. It, it almost feels like. And, and so, you know, how forgivable is it now that we know what the, I guess we can get to it in a minute, but it, it just, it just feels like everybody is crossing the line somewhere except for maybe Maria and Fina. It's all part of this, like, confusion about it's this it's kind of my same issue with santa morte without knowing what she wants we lose the stakes on like when things are happening to her we don't know if she's being thwarted we don't know what's going on so for tiago because i don't know where his moral center is i'm i don't i don't know like this latest thing you know he's of like okay yes uh i'll go with you and kill these germans i mean maybe the story um, that Nathan Lane t- tells him helps, but I, I you, you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's hard to tell. So it's his, is his moral center being twisted now? We don't really, we don't really cover that. And, and, and it, it feels like that's a story they do want to tell. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, so that's part of the reason why I'm kind of frustrated with it because it feels like they want to tell that, tell that story, but they don't give us enough information to know Tiago's changing mindset or, uh, where his morals are being uh, changed. Yes. Okay, we want answers now, not in Season 3, Episode 7, uh, which may never happen. That's basically what you're saying. It is a little bit funny, though, to see we do have a uh, double T. Double T. Yeah, Townsend Truther. Oh. <laughs> yeah, his new boyfriend who is like, you know... He's not so bad after all when you really get to know him. <laughs> I have to say, except for the dancing, I, I, you know, 
I, I've we haven't seen enough of the good side of Townsend to believe that this young, uh, this young, uh, good-looking guy who is all, um, you know, all about oppressing the minorities uh, would. Although maybe that is his good side, according <laughs> according to his boyfriend. He's like, yeah, you know what? <laughs> He's not so God, bad. He he yeah, wants to knock so down bad. all the neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get rid of the mongrels. He's not so bad. But as he's talking to Goss about this, as Dottie watches, then uh, Goss gives him a reminder not to develop feelings for Townsend. And there's also coming back again to this discussion that uh, Kurt says that he never mentions his father. And I, I don't, you know, obviously there's something about Townsend and his dad that the show doesn't want us to know, but they sure want to remind us that we need to know. And 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 when you say that, are you, do you mean that it happened outside of this episode, and I just ignored it, or is it just something new that happened in this episode, and now all of a sudden it's important? No, uh, in an earlier episode, remember Alex told well, you remember this that Alex told uh, Townsend, "What would your father think?" Right. So this is the second time that the father's been brought up. There's okay. some kind of interest that the Nazis have in Townsend's father, and I don't know what that is. That that kind of furthers the story along or the question along uh, in so this then, episode. So then my question to you is, is uh, are Mousy Magda and the Nazis don't have the same plan because her plan doesn't seem to involve Townsend's father at all. Her plan seems to involve him becoming powerful and doing things himself if not becoming president at least because i mean that's another thing i, I neither we talked about it already but both of us find it so ridiculous that we can't imagine that that's true but maybe that i i mean i i'm guessing that is a real plan mm. so i mean i'm not saying i'm not saying that obviously that mousy magda and the nazis would have the same endpoint but what i'm saying is it seems to me that they they share, you know, they share a common bond, which is to uh, is to uh, mess with America. Yeah. Well, this Townsend family obviously is powerful if they evidently have a street named after them. Uh, I don't know if it's named after his father or just his family in general. And you think about what Goss says his plan is. Of course, you know right. we're going to get the we're going to get invaded here. What better way uh, than to have Townsend as president uh, than to just yield to the Nazis? Yeah, come on over. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the first thing that has to happen, and this is why Townsend is important, before he becomes president, he needs to get those roads built so the tanks can roll over them. <laughs> Very important. Infrastructure. It is all, man. You got to have infrastructure. Sunset. Who, everything on the freeway, just 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 rolling tanks as far as the eye can see, which they will make at the new research facility that Brian will work at. Outside, Nathan Lane is explaining the importance of Brian and the rocket, and then tells Tiago that oh, something about uh, his second cousin. No, wait. Uh, how about a minute and a half tirade on Belgian chocolate and how to get it? And and how good it is. Oh, yeah. Uh, then he tells Tiago about his second cousin and what the Germans uh, did to him with a meat hook. 
and that it's time to just end these people. And Tiago agrees. Then Townsend and Alex come in. Oh, look, 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 there's more. Oh, and wait, Adelaide shows up. And of course, they see it. And, you know, if you were going to have your powder be wet, now's the time to make sure it stays dry. There's not going to be any killing tonight, according to Nathan Lane. But he also notes, as we talked about earlier, that if Adelaide's involved, then Molly probably is or will be as well, which, uh, given by Tiago's expression, it kind of hurt him there in the heart uh, to, to think about that. So, uh, Nathan Lane, way to go. Way to crush your partner's soul once again. Uh, Matt, I'm just going to save my comments uh, about that issue for uh, the game Somebody Help Catfish. Okay. All right. Well, I I do want to say that the whole Adelaide reveal probably shouldn't have been that much of a surprise, I guess, given her racist spewing uh, when we first meet her in episode two. Nathan Lane seems to like to link Molly to Mommy an awful lot. Um, Why does he do that? If he's so good about the whole brothers thing, is he on the right track? But Molly doesn't hate Mexicans, obviously. So what's going on here? Should, Should we let that put any more doubt in our mind about Molly now than we already had, Catfish? Now we're we're bringing stories together. Mm. <laughs> However, uh, the contest is still open about how the Molly storyline is related to Magda and which Magda, because this is still uh, still a little bit tenuous in that Mousy Magda is involved with the Germans and the Germans are involved with Adelaide and Adelaide is Molly's mom. I'm still begging for someone to figure this out. So I think back to the... the uh the birthday party episode at Peter Kraft's house and how that uh-huh. gentleman was talking about the radio evangelist and everything. Is that guy, uh, I mean, is he working for Goss as well? And I mean, this is maybe an irrelevant question, but the fact that Adelaide is showing up here, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that Adelaide would have just shown up into LA, established a beautiful church, uh, for her daughter and then found the first Nazi she could and said, Hey, let's have dinner. So uh, has she been invited to discuss a radio thing that the Nazis could use for oh. the German Bund party? And um, is this just a first approach by Goss? And is, is, so is Goss the point man for everything? Uh, he does seem to appear in the most in charge Nazi there. But, I mean, is he handling fieldings from this other German Bund group as well? Boon. Pardon me. Bund. Bund. At any rate. Yeah. I refuse to answer any more questions on this issue. All right. I understood. (laughs) Uh, Not to put you on the spot. You Uh, can't make me. You can't make me do it. Okay. Well, speaking of the crafts, a lot of that was interweaved with Maria's storyline, which we still have to get to, too. But there was a couple of isolated incidents during the course of the night after Maria had left. You can refer to them as that. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Elsa and Kraft are snuggling and, and she puts out feelers once again for getting rid of Maria because she's already moved her out to the garage. Uh, but uh, then once Peter kind of endorses Maria, she backs down a little bit, um, trying to make him feel strong, uh, as Linda Kraft said that he would not be strong. 
Um, and then, uh, of course, Frank, creepy Frank, who's always not not what Frank does so much as just uh, the way he looks. His expressions are just immaculate. I love that little actor's expressions. Uh, but the hamster's treading on its wheel, which, of course, annoys Frank. And Frank tells Tommy that he misses his dad. And, of course, Tommy misses his mom. And then Frank is lonely and he wants to get in bed with Tommy and then Tommy says yes and he Tommy never really stops having tremors the whole time that, that Frank's been in the house <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then Frank uh, uh, says he loves Tommy uh, because that's what brothers should say and so Tommy Ooh. feels uh, like he should say it as well and then Frank uh, just happens to glance over at the hamster wheel for a couple of seconds and the wheel stops turning Tommy looks up and the hamster is dead not the creepiest thing in the world, but uh, it, it, again, that kid Frank is just so good. I I, I got to get that actor's name because he's, he's doing a really good job with playing like this, uh, almost like he's an innocent to evil. Like, uh, like he's, uh, how can I put this? Uh, like he's discovering the evil he can do himself and he's kind of taking pleasure in it in a way. I just love that. Yeah, I, I, I mean, this is amazing. Uh, first of all, I just got to say, Matt, I have been a crazy woman adjacent. I have never, you know, when you're younger and you see somebody who's nuts and it's like, oh, they're so attractive. They burn so bright and, you know, everything's more interesting. And But I, I was never into that. I was like, no. Even when I was younger, no crazy, no crazy relationships, no relationships with crazy people. But a very good friend of mine was in a, like a two year relationship in college with a person who was out of their minds. Ooh. And Matt, I had, I had moved out of my parents' house, had this little two bedroom apartment. I mean, tiny, like 400 square foot, two bedroom apartment, but I always had roommates. And so one roommate had moved out, and I finally said, okay, you move in. I went to work. I come back from work. In the intervening four hours, he had just moved in that day. She pulled up all the carpets and moved everything around. And it was at this point, Matt, that I realized, holy crap, what a mistake I've made. Now she's in charge of all the decisions. So I'm not going to tell you how that caused me and my best friend to no longer be friends for two years. Mm. <laughs> yeah. After he moved out quickly, after I said, I can't be having this. Um, but what I will tell you is Magda has done the same exact thing here. She's moved in and all of a sudden people are moving rooms. She's pushing Maria around. I mean... She, in her manipulative way, is already... I mean, it's amazing that she moves in right away and Peter's like, I, does this seem a little odd, Maria? I know it may seem odd to you. And it's like, holy cow, she's in charge. And the, them staying together... There's two other things I want to say about the storyline. One, I want to say this. Now that they're together and it's not illicit anymore, mm. is the sex as hot as it was before? Number two, I want to say this. The double C. Double C? Yeah, creepy kid. Creepy kid. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> he is legitimately the creepiest thing on this show. I don't, Matt, I have no idea why this part of it is happening. It seems to me that that uh, that our, uh, our uh, German Magda 
mm-hmm. doesn't need to do anything with the kid to motivate Peter. It seems like she's got him under her thumb already. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why it's happening. But unlike other cases where I don't know why it's happening, I don't care one bit that I don't know why it's happening because this is legitimately the creepiest, weirdest, odd, supernatural, freaky storyline on this show. Mm. This is what I wish 80% of the show was, not 2%. So I am all in on the creepy kid. Keep doing this stuff. It's the only thing that makes my skin crawl, which is what I want. So I my A plus for this storyline, even though I don't know why it's happening. Again, this is this is this is how you do it. If you if you want to keep people in the dark, that's fine. Just keep them entertained while you're doing it. And yeah. this is the only truly entertaining thing that's happened to me on this show in a because of its weirdness. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, the, the other question that I had about this whole sequence is, is that here's a guy who has no problem who, you know, sending his wife to a sanitarium, but he's going to draw the line at Maria. Oh, sure. We can move her out to the garage, but no, we're not going to get rid of her yet. Um, well, it's really interesting here because, uh, as we talked about this, this, uh, this actor before Rory Kinnear does a great job of making you feel sympathy for him. Uh, it feels like at a, I mean, here you can still kind of feel, I mean, he is doing m- monstrous things here at this point. And even though it feels like he's being manipulated a little bit and they, I think they went out of their way to make the Piper Parabo character one dimensional and that being a horrible dimension, mm. uh, uh, eventually he is going to fully turn to the dark side, no matter what justification he has. I mean, if you look at it from the outside, yeah, this is horrible. I mean, it's one thing to say, like, my wife is crazy and she's hassling me and I'm going to send her to a sanitarium, which is horrible. But then to be like, okay, kids, here's your new mom. (laughs) Here's your new brother. He'll be sleeping in your room. (laughs) Well, and the reason that he wants to keep Maria is because she's so close to the kids. He doesn't understand that he's just traumatized them for life. Well, yeah, even even apart from the hamster killing kid, for sure. Yeah. Oh, well, since that is all about Maria, let's get on to the, the majority. It feels like we've been talking about this episode forever, but the majority of the story actually centers around Maria. So when she's on her way to work at the craft, she sees the OG Magda or double D, as we like to call her. Double D. Dominatrix Dormer. Mm, uh, she's delicious. just hanging out at a headstone, man. She's just like, hey, hi. Hi, Maria. Hi. You don't <laughs> understand, Matt. That's where she lives. <laughs> oh. Well, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. I thought. Yeah. yeah I guess Santa yeah. <laughs> Maria doesn't get there because she's done her task by then. Um, so that's where she has to hang out so that she's not around Santa Maria. Yeah. Yeah. That's where that's where Dominatrix Dormer lives. She's like, oh, look at this. Maria passes by my by my home every morning on her way to work. Give her a little wave. Uh, yeah, well, didn't exactly. even wave, just a stare. Uh, well, that's what happened. She raised her arm, <laughs> and some of her odor floated out, and that's when Maria smelled her, not when she was standing two feet away from her. She smells like a grave. Uh, she hears... Uh, Maria hears Peter explaining that mommy... Uh, that would be double P. Uh, Piper Parabo. Yeah, 
uh, basically uh, that uh, mommy has the measles or it's like mommy having the measles. She's going to just be completely out of sight for a while, uh, just like Trevor had to be completely out of sight for a while. That's how he explains it to Tom. Uh, I don't know what Maria thought of uh, trying to make it seem better for Tommy by explaining that it was like Hansel and Gretel, that uh, the terrible things happen so that the good things can happen, uh, because now all Tom wants to do is kill a witch. Uh, And speaking of a witch, a doorbell rings. Tom gets a hug uh, from Frank because Elsa is moving in and Maria evidently doesn't see who Elsa is, or at least it appeared that way to me. Uh, Maybe she smelled her. Uh, Tom doesn't like it at all, asks how long they were staying, and uh, says he already has a mother and a brother. Elsa immediately surveys the silverware and then tells Maria that she doesn't want everyone, or that she wants everyone to be happy. But uh, in the course of making everyone happy, let's put Frank in Tommy's room, move Trevor to Maria's room, and Maria, you can go out and suck some carbon monoxide with the cars. Well, first of all, Matt, I mean, I I don't know how that makes sense since there appears to be 37 rooms in that house <laughs> from the out from the outside. That room, that house is huge. Set her up in the room where you did the deed, you know, a couple of weeks ago. It didn't seem to be that much of a, a of a of a big deal because we never got the sense that Maria spent nights there. You know what I mean? Oh, uh, true. True. So to me, it's like, yeah, you can move your room that you never use. Yeah, that makes and that that actually is the one thing that makes sense to me. Sure. Okay, it seems a little heartless to me after years and years of service. But other than that, uh, because uh, you know, of course, uh, Peter's going to chime in with his own yeah, according to that. Um, and Frank, it only took her fifteen minutes to move, so that means she can't have had a lot of, of her stuff in there. That's true. She's only got 15 minutes. Well, she was able to pack it all in a single suitcase, right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I'm saying this didn't affect me because I thought, okay, yeah, would she stay in there like once a month? You know, big deal. It pales into comparison with, with, with everything else that Magda is doing in this household. That's, I think, that's, I think that's, that's, my, that's the reason why it didn't bother me so much. It's like, uh, okay, the Maria moving isn't as bad as moving the sun in. Uh, that's probably true uh frank uh speaking of the son uh, he's admiring tommy's toys and uh he's only ever played with broken ones so they discuss robert hood no robin hood uh when tommy shows off friar tuck the hamster uh and uh this is when tommy basically starts really shaking he doesn't stop shaking for the rest of the episode he's getting creepy vibes from frank i think even the hamster is getting creepy vibes from frank uh, that's why the hamster's trying to run away yeah uh <laughs> i can't i never i never go anywhere please get me out of here <laughs> just let me go please uh then uh while maria's unpacking peter comes in uh i guess he's looking for validation for his actions and, and she tells him there's there's a reason that windows have curtains, another lovely metaphor. And yeah. El- <laughs> and that Elsa is very clean and pretty, that she will be sure to keep an eye on Elsa for him. Uh, I'm assuming she meant to him to help, of course, but uh, according to her the expression on her face, maybe not so much. She's just going to be yeah. keeping an eye on her. Well, there's a couple things here. One is... 
<laughs> is that it's like when someone like when someone's dating uh when you when a friend of yours start dating someone new and they're like well what do you think and you're like yeah they're um yeah they they're smart <laughs> and uh what what a great dresser yeah you know what I, yeah you're like i'm just going to say the nice things the only things i can find um that are nice about it now and I, I think here's where the main problem is. Okay. Is that Maria says she's going to keep her eye on her, but instead she should be keeping her nose on her. <laughs> but that is, a, that is a funny point when she says, she says, I'll keep an eye on her. <laughs> <laughs> well, Maria's got about a 15-hour bus ride home uh, so that she can make a dinner and, and of course, uh, turn around and take the 15-hour bus ride back, I would imagine. Uh, she comes home, uh, says hi to Raul, who I guess hasn't left that couch since episode five. Not sure. Uh, asks about Fida and then gets out her own silverware that she had mentioned to Elsa earlier. Uh, the ivory handled silverware. And that's laid out for a nice dinner. Cooks up a fantastic meal. But then Fina has a Bible study. Uh, Maria and Fina argue about Sister Molly's temple. And Fina says that the only difference between Sister Mo- Molly and Santa Muerte is that Sister Molly is real. Oh, Fina, if you only knew. And she leaves, Fina does, to go off to her Bible study. Maria tells Ra- Raul uh, what we've all wanted to tell Raul since the beginning of this series, is that, uh, or at least since he got home, is that he sits and does nothing. He doesn't say anything. Uh, and she goes outside to have a smoke. Uh, and then she sees the picnic table where her whole family was at the beginning of the series having the party for Tiago. And she then decides to turn to Santa Morte for guidance. I want to say real quickly about this part before we get into the, the end stretch here. Yeah. Um, and again, forgive me for not being culturally aware enough. Uh, because I don't want to just make a generalization here, or if this is just a mother-daughter relationship that is strained for some reason. But the only time we see Maria and Fina together, either Maria is yelling at her for something, or telling her to get away, or it, it, it she just seems to not give Fina any kind of support whatsoever. I understand that religion could be a very big dividing point, but I mean... Even when Fina was trying to tell Maria about what happened to her, uh, it was all about Matteo in that moment. Yeah, and there I, was- I think yeah, I, I agree with that, and I think it's you know it's um, I mean not to get too personal, but I feel like that that could be a cultural thing. I do know there's a sort of a, I mean, th- throughout history, you know, there has been uh, in all cultures, not all cultures, but most cultures. Uh, a higher value uh, and attention paid to sons rather than daughters. Mm. Uh, you know, I feel like that's kind of way in the when in in the South. I feel like that kind of happened with uh with uh with Ms. Catfish, mm. uh, who has uh, three brothers, and it seemed like a lot of the focus was on them and 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 less on her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing, uh, you know, there, there, there aren't many matrilineal cultures. Um, Hawaii was a, is an interesting matrilineal as far as, um, 
you know, the kings and queens that all went through the line of the mother rather than the father, which makes sense. And I'll tell you why, Matt, because you can actually never know who the father of a child is, but you're damn sure know who the mother of a child is. Mm. So if you're going to do a king or queen thing, it should always go through the women and not the men. But yeah. um, there, there. So I mean, I think that's what is that is what's going on here. Okay. Uh, well, th- that that tends to make a little. It doesn't make me feel any better uh, for Fina or Maria because no, I feel like they're no. both missing out. Yeah, they are for sure. The other thing I want to say about the storyline is that uh, you know Raúl seemed like he was going to be very important in this show. We don't know what happened to him to help him recover. We don't know how he's recovered because he seems to be changed, but we don't get much from him. I feel like we should have had just Raul say just one sentence I think would have made that scene uh, more understandable. When Maria says, what are you doing? If Raul had just said, I'm I'm just sitting here on the couch until the writers need me to move the plot forward. <laughs> But do you feel like that that expression that came over his face after she she dressed him down a little bit is that any indication of where his story might line might go? I mean, he looked maybe, a little dark at the end of that. Maybe, but I you know the thing is it's like you can't just have someone sit around and not move their story forward a little bit and then just activate him when you need him. I mean, at least don't have him be around instead of sitting around like a cipher. That's 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 my only thing. I mean, literally, Raul, I mean, honestly, it's like he's got bed sores from sitting on that couch. <laughs> you would think. Um, he just sits there. I don't know why he's just sitting there, but I do know that at some point the writers are going to be like, here it is. Activate Raul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, mark my mark my words, Matt. Mark my words. He's got to recover from a head wound, which we've all explained that head wounds do strange things to people. Uh, but uh, stranger things happen in the Santa Morte, uh, in the Santa Morte shrine, uh, because that's where Maria turns to for guidance. And of course, Santa Morte shows. Uh, this is the same Santa Morte who I mentioned earlier said she wouldn't see Maria again until she was on her final breaths. Uh, but yet she's appeared twice. Uh, she came in to help Raul first or do something with Raul in the, in the episode where Raul woke up. And uh, now she's returning again. And you think, oh, no, is this it for Maria? Because Maria asks Santa Morte why her family is being destroyed. And all of a sudden, the OG Magda shows up and uh, she chimes in, too. You know, asking why Santa Morte has turned not just on this family, but on her, her family. And somehow Magda manages to make Santa Morte cry. And then Santa Morte scurries away into the shadows. She then tries to tempt Maria to the dark side. Maria's not having it. She's, uh, she's Luke Skywalker. She's not Anakin. And she invokes God, Maria does, to banish Magda from her shrine after Magda's knocked a couple of statues over and everything. Magda's gone, thunder crackles, and everything goes black. What happened here? What exactly happened here, Catfish? This, I, I find it intriguing because I want to know. So it's not the same thing from you. We're, I'm sure we're going to, when we play our game, uh, this is going to be a big discussion for you. Uh, but 
I, I, I just, I, the things about smelling her and, and, and all of this stuff and, and, um, this standoff, which, uh, you know, if all you got to do is invoke God to get rid of Magda, then what was the point? Is, did, did Santa Morte come to visit because we're going to find out in the next episode that Maria's dead? I wouldn't think so because I would think dramatically you would want to see Maria die. Uh, but I, I love how that made me want to watch the next episode. As I've said before, I don't understand the, the stakes of this whole scene. Mm. It's not creepy. It's just confusing. Santa Morte cries and then, and then just like, I'm out of here. I guess my feelings are hurt or some, I've been dominated or I've been, I have no idea. There's zero stakes in this scene for me. Okay. I don't know what's happening. Uh, okay. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't understand how, I mean, I guess they're going to explain it, but, uh, I, I don't, I don't, I mean, I assume at some point the mark on Tiago is going to mean something, even though Santa Morte gave it to him and she seems powerless, but implied newly in this episode is that this whole family is very important to this war. Hmm. Thanks, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> well, given Rio's uh, account of Aztec history and now Maria invoking the whole Aztec line thing about her, I'm like you. I'm not sure what it means. I think the difference between you and me is, is that I have faith that I'm going to get it on the back end. And that's what makes me invest Whereas you uh, don't have time to invest because you haven't been given any reason to yet. Right. I mean, again, it's hard to, let's just say you see a scene between two people, right? Mm -hmm. And they have a conversation and one gets hurt and one leaves. But through the context of the conversation and not knowing them before, you don't know what the relationship is. So how can you have any feelings about that conversation that just happened if you don't have any context and I feel like no context, no stakes. Understood. Allow me to put on my tinfoil hat and get struck by the lightning that crackled at the end of the episode. Uh, the betrayal once again was, uh, happened in the field of fire at the very first when she saved Tiago and turned away because that was at the point where Magda said, you know, let me feed you many souls. And she basically said, don't hurt the kid. And uh, she saved the kid by pushing him away. I think that right now, to me, in terms of what we know, is the most clear betrayal. I understand that part of it, but I don't understand what has been motivating Santa Muerte every other time we've seen her in this series. Mm. Again, I don't know what she wants. If I don't know what she wants, I don't know what matters to her. I don't know what's what what's obstructing her from what she wants because who knows what she wants? I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I don't, is it a big deal that she left? Why would it be a big deal? She hasn't done anything so far to to help this family, right? So true. I don't. I you know what I mean? Like you know. I I get that. Um, the other <laughs> it's thing fine, you, you know. Wanted... She she saved a kid thirty years ago, and and but 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 now what? What does she want? That that's a good question to ask. The other thing that I wanted to bring up real quick yeah. is, 
if you read the subtitles on episodes where Santa Morte and Maria is involved, this is the first time that the subtitles, it sounded like the same words were being said, but in the subtitles before, it was always just put uh, Spanish speaking. But this time around, we hear the word old coyote. And uh, Maria says it once. Uh, coyote, 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 coyote. So uh, what the heck, Brianna, get on this right away. Uh, what the heck is the old coyote? What does that mean for this story? Because I feel like if we understood that, we might have a better sense of who Maria is and thus what uh, Magda and uh, Santa Morte's interest in her is. I guess my thing is this, Matt. Let me ask you this question. So we had some heavy-duty inciting action in this season. A couple things. The, the Magda and Santa Morte and Tiago as a kid. And mm-hmm. then we had the shootout between the police and the Mexicans. Mm-hmm. Well, not really between the police and the Mexicans. <laughs> the police <laughs> and then Raul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Since then, to me, it seems like the rest of this series has been set up. And how happy are you with if we're going to get nine episodes of setup and then a little mini explosion in episode 10? It's just this is this is the problem I alluded to at the beginning is that they're trying to pay things up so far down the line mm. that they're not giving us enough now. And nowhere, nowhere near enough. I, and I can see that viewpoint, uh, for certain. I, uh, and, and even this argument that I have, uh, will have some holes that you can shoot through it, uh, as most of my arguments do. But I, for me, um, and, uh, maybe it's just because I'm an old Lost fan and I was an apologist for Lost to many people who hated the ending. Um, I always say it's about the journey, not the destination. And uh, for me, as characters, I've found the little twists and turns, except for the ones that are just blatantly reversed for story purposes. I will give you that. That's a big hole. But uh, that is what has kept me uh, probably on a slightly higher rating scale than you. And maybe my bottom floor is just a little bit higher than yours to begin with, because again, I'm a a softy and a sucker. I couldn't I couldn't be happier that uh, that we're not both sitting here. I don't want to say trashing, but being very critical of the show. I'm glad that we have uh, that we have an optimist uh, amongst us. Uh And I wish it could be me. But it's not. So <laughs> I, one, Matt, I, I wish it could be you too, um, because Matt, I'm much better at Matt's tomatoes. Honestly. All right. Well, I'm sorry. This is the roles we 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 we're stuck in the roles we have. Uh, do you want to talk about any of the music on a, on a, on a lighter note? <laughs> pun intended. Usually, I'm very critical of of the music that is inserted that is not scored. I'm usually very high on the music that is scored, but this time around I have zero tomatoes because the first song that we heard, Baby What Else Can I Do, uh which is uh, also known as Am I Blue, uh that was the Ethel Waters 1929 arrangement that we heard. So Love it. Totally possible to be in that time period. Likely to be in that time period if it's a bar anywhere near where uh, Tiago lives, uh, because they probably wouldn't get their records updated very often. Um, and and uh, it was a hit 
for Ethel Waters. Uh, it became her signature song, actually. And then the other song that we heard as we were going to the, the Sony Cafe, as you called it, uh, it, Just Let Me Look At You was an old Tommy Dorsey song from 1938. So it would have right. been a brand new hit. Uh, and of course, the, the high-end cafe where all the white people hang out, that would have the latest records, of course, in their jukebox. So um, that's that's all I have to say about that. I'm not going to do any of the scoring for this episode. We've already talked way too long. And I have a new schedule uh, with my uh, pursuit of being a radiologic technologist that doesn't allow me the time on Sundays to do the music. I promise a catch-up episode as far as the scoring goes later on this week. Awesome. Well, Matt, it's time. It's time. We've been talking enough. Let's now talk, but speak the words of our listeners. Of our listeners. That sounds good. We've got some feedback uh, regarding last week's episode, season one, episode six, how it, it is with brothers. First one from our new, newly appointed researcher, yeah. Rihanna, April Diamond 28. What does she say, Catfish? You know... I, she's going to have to tell us because now I'm a little bit worried that it might be Brianna, which which obviously Brianna makes more makes more is would be more traditional, but mm. it, it could be Brianna. Let, let us know so we can say your name correctly and so that uh, we can put your name correctly on the paycheck, which you will not be receiving. Yeah. Well, not only that, Kefa, she actually did at one point send a tweet to the podcast saying, thank you for saying my name right. Uh, but I oh, don't okay. remember Sorry, which way, I don't remember which way we said it when, when she was uh, thinking it. Damn it. All right. She'll let us know. Uh, at April Diamond 28 said three wo- her three words for episode six, how it is with brothers was, who is Tiago? Mm. Mm. She said her favorite Magda was Rio this week. And uh, Dr. Kraft, uh, Peter, has my vote for most evil mortal this week. Oh, yeah. man. Our old loyal listener, Dooley's Left Legs, at Dooley's Left Legs, that's with a Y, says three-word descriptions, surprisingly dirty duo, meandering Magdalus mess, <laughs> and stuck-in station with, uh, it looks like a face palm. Uh, and then he also said... I gave this episode 5.5 double eyes. Double eyes. Yeah, irritating interviews. Ooh. As for Magda of the Week, if we're not counting the previously section, it's very slim pickings. Her altercation with Tiago's ma, and then uh, the, uh, the uh, sideways uh, laughing, crying face. Hmm. Unless she is Tiago or one of the cops baying for blood, which wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> and then I think shrugging shoulders emoji. Yeah. All right, one more from Dooley. Clean it up from Dooley, from Dooley's left legs, Matt. All right. Well, the last tweet that we got uh, was regarding the podcast. And uh, Dooley's left leg said, podcast quote of the week. Speaking of a cast which only covered the season premiere, Catfish said, those lucky bastards. <laughs> <laughs> and by far the weakest episode yet. A lot of unbelievable plot. I still feel it will fit together and be okay. An okay season as a whole. There's right, another there, optimist for us. There is another optimist. I'm a very appreciative of that, Dooley. Like, he's like straddling both sides. He's like, sees the problems, but still... I mean, I'm not saying you don't see the problems, but I like his enthusiasm. I do, too. Uh, very much. Uh, and uh, I understand the criticism in the 5.5 rating from last week as well. 
one other tweet that we got for today from Jules. That's at Jules official underscore. Uh, just saying that uh, she had been catching up on the Penny Dreadful City of Angels podcast, and it was so delightful. All right, Matt, this has come to the exciting part of the podcast. Everyone clamors for it. They listen to the rest just to get this dessert. First up, it's three words. Three words. And my three words this week is better than most, which, of course, Catfish is going to shoot holes through here in just a minute. But uh, actually, with all of the interactions and everything, it reminded me much more of episode one, which I really liked. Okay, uh, yeah. Than the other episodes. Wow. That is a great one. My three words are uh, what is happening. <laughs> <laughs> and you've made that point perfectly clear in this podcast. I, I, I don't think I, that I, deserves any explanation exactly. or needs any and, explanation. And I, it does not, and nor will I give any. So, Matt, <laughs> we're going to come to well, – we got a new game this week. As I said earlier, this game is called Somebody Help Catfish. Please help Catfish understand what is happening? See you see that you see that segue? Yeah, a great segue. Professional podcast. That's a triple S. Uh, triple triple S. A super slick segue. Oh, nice, nice. Uh, I liked how you did that with your radio voice. So good. <laughs> All right. So somebody help catfish. Somebody help catfish with two things this week. Uh, number one, somebody help catfish understand what is going on with Santa Muerte. Number two. Somebody help Catfish understand why Adelaide's appearance at the diner stopped Nathan Lane from killing the Nazis. I mean, big whoop. It's, I mean, even if Adelaide's the money person, these are the guys in charge. Why did it stop him? So please tweet at the pod, at Dreadful Pod. You know, tweet at uh, double P. Is it double P media? I always forget. It's, it's uh, the word double, the letters PHQ. Double PHQ, or you can tweet right at Catfish at CJGMan67. Somebody help Catfish. <laughs> Somebody help Catfish. <laughs> oh, man. More awards that we have to give out that everybody loves to give them in, uh, as you heard from Brianna's tweets or from at April Diamond 28's tweets. Uh, we start with the Townsend Award, which is the real life politician in our real world. Not doing much better than Townsend. So, Catfish, you or me first? Uh, well, you go first. All right. Well, I'm giving mine out to New York City Criminal Court Judge James Burke, uh, who agreed to a request by the New York City Police Department to allow for detention of anyone arrested in the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Manhattan without criminal charges longer than the 24 hours mandated by state law during a hearing. Uh, this hearing was in response to a writ filed by the Legal Aid Society of New York on behalf of hundreds of protesters who were still in jail. So essentially, mm. in New York City, habeas corpus has been suspended. Um, I would say blame the NYPD as well for making the motion, uh, but uh, ultimately the decision had to, came to come down to criminal court judge James Burke, you get my Townsend Award for the week. Mm. Well, you know, Matt, I'm getting tired of doing this. I've been tired of doing this for a long time. <laughs> but uh, I have to give it <laughs> this week to uh, Donald Trump. 
I can't who, imagine why. Well, yeah, I mean, you can't imagine. The only thing that you have to figure out is for which horrific thing was it? Was it for leading from the basement like our boy Joffrey Baratheon? No, it wasn't for that. It was for him uh, after the unemployment numbers came out. He gave a rambling, incoherent, I guess I guess that goes without saying, speech in the Rose Garden. Among the things he said regarding uh, the unemployment numbers, he said, hopefully George, referring to George Floyd, mm. hopefully George is looking down right now and saying, this is a great thing that's happening for our country. It's a great day for him. It's a great day for everybody. Oh. I think I could just... Uh, I just, that's without comment. Presented without comment, because comment is unnecessary. Well, I will just say this about President Trump. Consistently inconsistent and hateful. Thank you very much, uh, Trump. You are the winner of Catfish's Townsend Award for this week. How about... <laughs> the century. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, we always... Uh, Put these guys pretty evil. I think maybe our favorite Magda might have even been less evil this week uh, than than our Townsend Award winners. Uh, so, what is the best Magda iteration of this episode, Catfish? I'm gonna give it to Mousy Magda, mm. just because her her nerdiness is 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 over the top, and I feel like we could have a little bit more of that kind of playfulness. I mean, she's obviously evil, but have a little bit more fun with it. And I felt like she had more fun with it this week. So that's uh. why she gets my favorite Magda. What about you, Matt? Well, I think that's a great choice because nothing nothing says a favorite Magda like breaking mirrors. But uh, I'm giving my favorite Magda to Double D. Double D. Dominatrix Dormer Magda. Mm. The OG mm. Magda. Mm -hmm. uh, she's uh, sufficiently uh, creepy in the in the cemetery she gave a good speech a good trump-like speech in the santa morte uh museum there so uh dominatrix dormer gets my magda of the week all right well who gets the uh magda cum laude that is for the person who uh gets top of the class honors for for helping out magda's evil plans this mm. this weekend it could be any of the Magdas. So, Matt, who was your Magda cum laude? Well, my Magda cum laude this week, and I'm going with quality over quantity. Uh huh. Uh, and maybe again, it's just because she wants Goss to build another church for her or something. Uh, but in ten seconds, her fraternizing with Nazis now makes me distrust everything about her. That was probably by design. It's probably the biggest red herring in, in the whole show so far. Uh, but nonetheless, it worked for me. I'm in on Adelaide. Oh, very nice. Matt, I have to give it to Maria. Maria? Yeah, I'm giving it to Maria. A enabling, manipulative Magda. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, she needs to work on her sniffer. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, yep, she's enabling him. Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. Nothing wrong with her. <laughs> Perfect. Folks, we want to hear what your Townsend Award would be. What would your three words for this episode would be? What would you uh, answer Catfish's questions? What was that? What's this game called again? 
Somebody help catfish. There it is. Somebody help catfish. Answer all those questions by tweeting to at DreadfulPod on Twitter, or you can send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com, or you can call 314-269-0421 and leave a voicemail. Remember, regular phone charges may apply. You can always hit up our bosses at double P H Q on Twitter. That's the word double, the letters P H Q. Or you can also follow them on Instagram, or you can go to their Facebook page. Facebook.com slash double PHQ. Catfish, I know that you're <laughs> looking for some answers here. Uh, so if people do want to be somebody, help Catfish uh, for you, how can they reach you? Help Catfish by tweeting at CJGMan67. Help me. <laughs> help Catfish uh, and snicker at him to me at Musical Concepts if you wish. Folks, you can also help out by uh, leaving YouTube comments. Uh, that happens. Uh, we put out YouTubes of the podcast each week as well. Just leave comments below and we'll uh, share those on the air with our listeners as well. You can find all of the links, all of the back episodes, all contact information at dreadfulpodcast.wordpress.com. And we will talk to you next week on Delightfully dreadful help catfish please <laughs> send emails to dreadfulpodcast at gmail.com or tweet to at dreadfulpod <laughs>